0: Good morning, church. My name is Stuart McRae. I have the, the joy of serving as an elder here and also on staff. Please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, and where we left off last week. We're going to start this week with verse 15. If you have a blue Bible, that's page 557. If you're unsure of where Ecclesiastes is, it's just about in the middle of your Bible, right after Psalms, right after Proverbs, and then you'll find Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting with verse 15. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? <clears throat> be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good. That you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all these things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourselves have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me, that which has been far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more better than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. We live in a paradoxical world, And one paradox that has bewildered man, that man has wrestled with for more than a millennium, is what do bad things happen to good people? In 1981, popular Jewish rabbi Harold Kushner wrote what would become a number one bestseller when bad things happen to good people. Kushner wrote this book as a reflection on the previous years of of walking through life with his three-year-old son who was diagnosed with a degenerative disease which would later take his life in his early teens. Kushner gets to the heart of the struggle, especially for religious people, when he writes, how does one handle news like that? What I mostly felt the day we received the diagnosis was a, a deep aching sense of unfairness. It didn't make sense. I had been a good person. I had tried to do what was right in the sight of God. More than that, I was living a more religiously committed life than most people I knew. I believed I was following God's ways and doing his work. How could this be happening to my family? If God existed, if, if he was minimally fair, let alone loving and forgiving, how could he do this to me? Like most people, my wife and I had grown up with the image of God, where if we were obedient and deserving, He would reward us. We've all heard stories. The young missionary who's dedicated his life to serving God, and after years of preparation on his way to the airport, is suddenly and tragically killed in a car accident. Or the young Christian mom who, after years of trusting God for a child, is diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer shortly after giving birth. Maybe we don't need stories. Maybe we've lived out this seeming paradox in our, in our own lives. This is a painful paradox that isn't just theoretical, but one that hits home in a very personal way. And I think when personally faced with this paradox, Kushner's uh, initial response is, Fairly representative for how most of us might initially respond. Being able to navigate paradoxes like this is of the utmost importance. Because, as our text will tell us, faith is in the balance. We must be equipped to navigate this paradoxical world because at some point we'll run headlong into a paradox that will deeply challenge the very core of our faith. Thanks be to God that we have this passage, and and it's going to tell us that wisdom equips us to navigate this paradoxical world. Wisdom equips us to navigate this paradoxical world. Here's how we're going to approach our text this morning. These verses 15 through 29 can be can be split fairly neatly into two different sections: 15 through 22, and 23 through 29. And there we're going to find that wisdom equips us with two specific things to navigate this paradoxical world. All right, let's get going. Ecclesiastes seven, 15 through 22. In my vain life I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evildoing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. And Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. What we'll find in these verses is that wisdom equips us with humility to navigate this paradoxical world. Wisdom equips us with humility to navigate this paradoxical world. This section is primarily focused on verses 15 through 18. And the Proverbs in 19 through 22 are substantiating the truths that are being conveyed in 15 through 18. So the way that we're going to approach this is we're going to weave in the Proverbs as we go through verses 15 through 18. We do live in a paradoxical world and the seeming paradox of why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people have been wrestled with going all the way back to the preacher of Ecclesiastes. And the preacher says in verse 15, I've seen both paradoxes. There's a righteous man who dies young despite his righteousness and there's a wicked man who actually prolongs his life despite his wickedness. Now the real danger in seeing in these seeming paradoxes is not that you witness or experience these things but the real danger is in how you theologically process them and then respond to them the real danger is how you theologically process them and then respond to them and this is what the, pre- the preacher is going to be speaking into When we see bad things happening to good people, should we try harder to please God? Or should we give up on obeying God? The preacher's wisdom, verse 16, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Is the preacher suggesting here what it sure seems like he's suggesting, that we should just be a a little righteous, and a little wicked? Well, no, that would contradict Scripture. In its most basic, the preacher is warning people against having extreme responses to supposed paradoxes. He's warning against having extreme responses to supposed paradoxes. The key to understanding the wisdom that's found in these verses is verse 18. Look at it with me. It is good that you should take hold of this. That's the wisdom of verse 16. And from that, withhold not your hand. The wisdom of verse 17. And and here's the key. For because the one who fears God shall come out from both of them or will take a middle perspective. In other words, the person who fears God will avoid both extremes and take the middle perspective of humility. The one who fears God will avoid both extremes and take the the middle perspective of humility. Meaning, and this is important, the one who holds either extreme is doing so out of a heart of arrogance that does not fear God. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is a a deep love and reverence for who God is, and thus who we are in light of who he is. God is sovereign. Sovereign. We are finite. God is holy and perfect. We are sinful. The fear of the Lord also describes a right biblical worldview. The the earth and everything in it is the Lord's. The world and all its people belong to him, Psalm 24, 1. To possess the fear of the Lord is to know that he is the creator, he owns all things, and we are but the created. So, verse 18 is the key to understanding the wisdom that's in verses 16 and 17 and explains that what we'll come to discover in these, uh, as we work through these two extremes, is that wisdom equips us with humility that's sourced in the fear of God to navigate these paradoxes. Wisdom equips us with humility that's sourced in the fear of God to navigate these paradoxes. Well, let's look at the, the wisdom from the preacher. Verse 16, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? It's, it's best to see righteousness and wisdom as two sides of the same coin, as the vocabulary of the wisdom traditions understood that to be righteous was to be wise and to be wise was to be righteous. And the wisdom of verse 16 is given to a typical Israelite who, in regards to the paradoxes found in verse 15, thinks, you know, since, since God has promised a long life to the righteous and, and that righteous guy died young, he must just not have been righteous enough. I'll, I'll pursue super-righteousness that will certainly earn a prolonged life from God. And this response comes out of a heart of arrogance that does not fear God. One commentator describes the type of righteousness that's being admonished against here as a righteousness that is beginning to go to seed, a righteousness that will flourish in its most distorted form in the days of Jesus and the Pharisees. This Israelites' pursuit of super righteousness was most likely through strict adherence to the law, but it also could have been through self-discipline or abstinence or some other form of works righteousness. All that being said, the preacher's wisdom could be summed up like this: don't give in to legalism. Don't give in to legalism. In its most basic sense, legalism believes that we can earn or keep God's favor by what we do. In its most basic form, legalism believes that we can earn or keep God's favor by what we do. And The preacher is saying, don't pursue super-righteousness or perfection in an attempt to earn anything from God or gain an edge over him as to force his hand. You see, it's the height of arrogance to think that fallen, sinful, and finite creatures can gain a righteousness perfect enough as to earn anything from God. Oh, indeed, it is self delusional to think it even possible to escape sin. And become the kind of blameless person that verse 16 implies. Verse 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. In case we weren't certain of the universality of sin, the preacher calls every last one of us out in verses 21 through 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. But we've all criticized someone else. We've all unjustly and sinfully become angry with others. We've all not spoken the truth. We've all not... And the list goes on and on and on and on, doesn't it? Sin is universal. Even the most apparently righteous sin by falling short of the standard of God's holiness. Now, just in case you thought the preacher was against wisdom, verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than 10 rulers who are in a city. The the preacher isn't against wisdom. He's against those who think they can outsmart God. At the end of verse 16, the preacher asks, why should you destroy yourself? You see, there's danger in giving into legalism. If we pursue righteousness through any form of legalism, we will destroy ourselves spiritually. We'll either perceive that we're having some measure of success and we'll end up with damnable self righteousness or we'll come to grips that we can't achieve righteousness in our own efforts. We'll get caught up in a downward spiral of hopeless despair. Both outcomes lead to spiritual destruction. The preacher's wisdom when confronted with the paradox of verse 15 is don't give in to legalism. The preacher is trying to drive us away from the extreme response of legalism when we see the the paradoxes in this world and towards a a middle perspective that humbly understands that we cannot do anything to earn God's favor. This humble perspective is sourced in the fear of the Lord and therefore understands that in light of God's holiness, none are righteous. Righteous. the side of the cross, this humble narrow path looks away from self and to God alone by grace, through faith, in Christ alone for one's means for righteousness. Any legalism, whether it's through rule keeping or through self-discipline or abstinence or through some other form of works righteousness, all ends up in condemnation. It's the the one who fears God will will gladly say with the Apostle Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes to the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Well, there is more wisdom here from the preacher, verse 17: "Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Again, it's best here to see that wickedness and being fool and being a fool are two sides of the same coin. The wisdom of verse 17 is given to a typical Israelite who in regards to the paradoxes of 15 is thinking, hey, if the righteous guy who obeys God is just going to die young anyways and the wicked guy is going to live longer, I'm out. Who cares? The, the conclusion is wrapped up in this notion of injustice, injustice, injustice. This is the basic sentiment that Rabbi Kushner expressed earlier. The preacher's wisdom here could be simply stated as don't give in to license. Don't give in to license. In this most basic sense, license believes that one can do whatever they want to include sin because rules and moral restraints of our no consequence License believes that you just do whatever you want to include sin. It doesn't matter. There's no consequence. The danger with license is that it always gives way to sin. And this this Israelite arrogantly sees that since he can't earn God's favor, then there's no value in obeying God by, by pursuing righteousness and wisdom. You see, when things don't go our way, we don't have the license to sin. When things don't go our way, we do not have the license to sin. The the preacher is not saying sin just a little. No, he knows that everyone will sin, verse 20. Yet his wisdom is don't embrace evil nor make a practice of sinning. And why? The end of verse 17 why should you die before your time? You say it may seem to this Israelite that biblical wisdom is holding no water, but the preacher is ultimately affirming that wickedness and folly do ultimately lead to death. The preacher's wisdom, when confronted with the paradox of verse 15, is is don't give in to license as it always gives way to sin. Don't give in to license as it always gives way to sin. The preacher is also trying to drive us away from the extreme response of license that gives way to sin when we see paradoxes in this world and towards a middle perspective that fears God therefore humbly understands that yes, yes we will sin, but that we shouldn't therefore make it a practice. This side of the cross, even believers with a good understanding of the gospel can be tempted towards giving in to license. This kind of license is a lax view of sin because, well, God sent Jesus to die for our sins. We'll ask for forgiveness later. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The gospel gives no room for us to give into license. Rather, it empowers us to embrace the humble middle perspective and live in newness of life and put forth great effort in killing sin. What have we seen in these verses? Wisdom equips us with humility to navigate these paradoxes by not giving in to legalism nor license, but to fear God and take the middle perspective. Bless well, not all the wisdom that the preacher has for us in this passage. Ecclesiastes seven twenty-three through 29. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which, is, <clears throat> that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold... This is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. As I mentioned earlier, the the real danger with these paradoxes that we find in this world is how you theologically process them, and then respond to them. And here in this section, we're going to get some theological wisdom to help us process this paradoxical world. What organizes this section is the repetition of the phrases, I find or I found. And this clues us into the fact that what we're going to find here is wisdom equips us with insight to navigate this paradoxical world. Wisdom equips us with insight to navigate this paradoxical world. Starting with verse 23, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. The, the preacher from all the way back in chapter 1 has been on the, on the quest, on the search to find the meaning of, well, everything. Everything. And here in these verses, he admits that ultimate wisdom to know such things has been elusive. Why? Verse 24, that which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? The Apostle Paul echoed these words in Romans 11. He said, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You see, no one can come to a full comprehensive understanding of the universe. The the ocean of knowledge is is too wide and it's too deep. But that being said, the preacher is not yet ready to give up his quest. Verse 25, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. See, although a full comprehensive grasp of the universe cannot be obtained, there are three insights that wisdom equips us with to navigate this paradoxical world. There are three insights. The first insight is found in verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death? The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. I realize that on the surface we can read something like that and say, okay, so this guy went on the hunt for for wisdom and folly, and what he found was a terrible woman. That's not what it's saying, although that can initially seem like that's what he's saying. We can understand what he's saying by the language that's used here. One Hebrew scholar writes this, the text speaks in definite terms of the woman, as if the reader ought to know who that woman is. And in the immediate context, the most likely referent is folly. The language in verse 26 echoes the teachings in conventional wisdom about the dangerous woman who lures one away from wisdom's embrace. You see, wisdom and folly are personified as women in the book of Proverbs. There's lady wisdom, and there's lady folly both are seen in Proverbs chapter nine as as calling out to those who pass by to turn into their homes. And listen to their calls. Here's Lady Wisdom. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in newness and walk in the way of insight. Now listen to the call of Lady Folly, and hear the trap that she lays. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, oh, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But the simple does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of the grave maybe folly's call is a trap verse 26 describes her as a hunter her heart is a snare and net and her hands are like chains that 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 bind up her captives so that none can escape Proverbs 7 sketches a a young man without sense being trapped by a woman folly. Oh, he, He follows her at once like an ox to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare little knowing it would cost him his life. Lady Folly is the personification of all that is wicked and foolishness. And any who fall into her trap will find no escape, but only complete and total spiritual ruin. That being said, the preacher offers hope. End of verse 26. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. You see, when the call of lady folly goes out, the the one who pleases God, the one who has God's wisdom, will not heed her call, but will keep on walking. You see, the one who pleases God knows the difference between the call of lady wisdom and the call of lady folly. Later in John 10, Jesus would say, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The first insight that wisdom equips us with to navigate this paradoxical world is folly is prevalent and folly's on the hunt. Folly is prevalent and folly is on the hunt. Did you notice that when the preacher goes out? on his quest, the first thing that he finds is folly. Folly's prevalence is instructive. We, we shouldn't be surprised to be confronted with folly. You see, as soon as we lighten up on our vigilance, we make ourselves susceptible because folly is also on the hunt. Folly is actively laying traps and snares and therefore, we must be attuned to wisdom's voice so that we'll know when it is folly who is calling. There's no better place to be attuned to wisdom's voice than to be in God's Word. This is the source of God's wisdom, and there is grace to open it up and to hear the life giving words of God's wisdom. Wisdom's second insight for navigating this paradoxical world is found in verses 27 through 28. Now I want us to read these verses on the screen together because there's a parenthetical thought in here that can really trip us up if we don't see that that's what it is. So here we go. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. So while on the hunt to find the scheme of things, the preacher finds what? One, one man among a thousand, but, but not a woman among these did he find? Or what about this time? Because This sir feels pretty misogynistic, doesn't it? That's not it. In, in chapter 9, the same guy is going to tell us to enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. He's not misogynistic. So, so what does this mean then? Commentators struggle as to why it is written this way, but what I read that was the, the most compelling is that the preacher is probably quoting from an existing proverb. Remember, we're reading poetry here. However, all that being said, let me say this. What, what is clear is the principle that's being conveyed, and it has nothing to do with gender. And here it is. Wisdom and righteousness are scarcely to be found. Wisdom and righteousness are scarcely to be found. They are virtually non-existent amongst humans. Think back to the beginning of Job when the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. You see, what the preacher is affirming is what the Lord said to Satan. People who truly fear God and and are thus blameless and upright, those with wisdom and righteousness are few and far between. The second insight that wisdom equips us with to navigate this paradoxical world is people who truly fear God and are thus blameless and upright, those who have wisdom and righteousness are few and far between. The last insight that wisdom equips us with for navigating this paradoxical world is found in verse 29. See this alone I found, that God made man upright But they have sought out many schemes. The preacher is telling us that God is not to blame for the sin and brokenness that we find in this world. No, he made man upright. Man is responsible for the sin and brokenness that we find in the world because man pursued his own schemes. Man pursued his own way apart from God. The preacher clearly has Genesis in mind here. God made both man and woman to be without sin, and he said that they were good. But Adam and Eve pursued their own scheme to be like God and to be wise, and in doing so, they brought sin into the world. One commentator helpfully traces out the schemes of man. Man. Next, people schemed to control their destiny by building a city and developing agricultural art and technologies. Well, that scheme also failed. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord sent a great flood. After the flood, they schemed to build a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we should be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That scheme also failed too when the Lord confused their language and dispersed them throughout all the earth. One scheme after another. Even in the time of Israel's prophets, he goes on, Isaiah had to admit, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. The final insight that wisdom equips us with to navigate this paradoxical world is that God is not to be blamed for the wickedness and the sin that we see in this world, but man is held responsible. You see, we do live in a paradoxical world. And we need wisdom to equip us with the humility and insight to navigate it. Let me conclude with this. As we reflect on this text as a whole, we come to see that why do bad things happen to good people? It's not really a paradox at all. Why? Because there's no such thing as good people. Not when compared to holy and righteous God. You see, in comparison to God, there is, as our text says, none righteous. All have gone their own way. You see, none of us can say that God owes us anything except his just wrath to be poured out on us because of our sin. There are only sinners who have earned and deserved God's just wrath because of their sin. The the wicked guy who prolonged his life in verse verse 15 still died. And then was given the judgment of God. And if we consider the young guy's righteousness in 15 to have been by grace through faith in God's promises to send a savior, then even he still didn't deserve a long life. He didn't deserve one breath but by a gift of God's grace alone, he will receive eternal joy with God in heaven forever. You see, this text stood firm. None are righteous, all have gone their own way until the God-man, Jesus, came. He was perfect and without sin. He fulfilled the law of righteousness in every way and then died for wicked people like you and me and then rose from the grave victorious three days later. Listen to how 2 Corinthians 5.21 speaks. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Elsewhere, Paul wrote, and because of God you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What amazing grace. What a wonderful paradox. By grace, through simple faith, God has united believers with Christ. And for the believers' benefit, God made Jesus to be wisdom itself. Christ made believers right with God. Christ has made believers pure and holy, and Christ has freed believers from their sin. Let's pray. God, thank you for the wisdom of this text. We, we do live in what can seem like a very mysterious world. It can be very confusing. I'm grateful that you would give us wisdom to be humble as we walk through it, Trusting God, not leaning to extremes, but, but staying down the middle, fearing God, fearing you. Thank you for the insights that you've given us. And ultimately, thank you for the, the insight that you've given us in Christ. Father, I pray that for those who are not united to Christ, this This would be the day and the opportunity for them to look away from self and look to you for their right standing. Father, would they trust solely in Christ and his finished work on the cross? Give us help now to continue to meditate on these words and apply them to our hearts and minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.